Welcome to No Player Connected. We are rejoined, joined again, whatever the term is, by Knight and Gaelic. Can I say your your secret identity name? Sure. Emma, because she didn't get to tear into honest hearts enough, so, or at all. We didn't get to talk about it at all. Yeah, so here we are with the Honest Hearts episode of No Player Connected. Uh, I assume we'll give this treatment to every New Vegas DLC. Yeah, happy to be back. My goal here is to get you to finish playing the DLC so that you and I can pick a favorite and then try to defend it. Well, at this pace, um, I will finish all the New Vegas DLC by 2028, probably. <laughs> Just in time for another presidential election. Yeah. Or, or a new uh, New Vegas 2, or Fallout 5. I hope they never make a New Vegas 2, honestly. Like, that's just my personal opinion. I think it would be, I think it would be hyped up way too much and it would not meet anybody's expectations. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> I'm more distracted by the fact that the game just went into third person and I forgot that I'm not wearing pants. Yeah, where are we? Where are we today? We're in Angel Cave. <laughs> Which is significant because... Because it is a cave in <laughs> Zion National Park that is currently occupied by the most hated man in the desert. <laughs> Caesar? <laughs> no, we're actually... It's Mr. Like... House? <laughs> no, this is a guy that even they hate. Like, I don't actually... That doesn't make him the most hated, though. Well, he's definitely the most hunted man. How about that? Yeah, that's different. Aside from maybe the courier, I think he's probably the most hunted man in the desert. It's more of a canyon. But yeah. To, um, Whatever. Come on. Tell, tell us why it's important. Why is Angel Cave important? Or the little freak in it important. Are we starting off with Joshua? <laughs> Well, do you want to tell us about the cave first? Well, that's foreplay, and then we'll dive right into All right. full frontal Joshua Graham. Angel Cave is a cave system in Zion National Park, just called Zion in the Honest Hearts DLC for Fallout New Vegas. Honest Hearts was the second DLC released for the Fallout New Vegas base game, and it is the only one that James has played. <laughs> Very noteworthy for that. I think yeah. that's on the Wikipedia page at the bottom. Whoa, James only played this one. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll give you the base story, too. <laughs> the Courier, the main character and player character of Fallout New Vegas, is hired to be a navigator for a caravan that is attempting to reach a settlement known as New Canaan, which is in present-day Utah, post-war Mormon heaven. I don't know. <laughs> And while they are on their way there, they are attacked in Zion National Park, and the rest of the caravan is murdered, and the courier has to figure out what happened and how to escape Zion intact. And while they're there, they get to decide what happens to Zion and the people in it, too. All right. There's a few different groups in Zion. We have the... What is it? The Dead Horses, the White Legs, and the Sorrows, mm -hmm. and then technically the New Canaanites as well. Yeah, there's only two New Canaanites, but they're there, I guess you could say. Maybe there's more, but you don't get to see them, because I believe this was programmed in two weeks with one laptop from the 90s, Yeah. Uh, if, a, if the Obsidian track record holds true. They really slapped it together next to no time at all, and... Honestly, 
not a bad job for how much time they were given, but this DLC is considered by many to be one of the most basic of the DLC stories and possibly the weakest story-wise. That's astounding considering that this is the one that I've seen people talk about the most. Well, yeah, it's it's a huge topic of discussion just because of what happens in it, but I would say that it, it usually isn't somebody's favorite when you pull out the DLC for this game. This one usually ranks in somewhere in the middle or dead last. Wait, hold on. We were talking about the tribes. Yeah, which one do you want to start with? Yeah, you pick. <laughs> okay, so the first tribe that you encounter when you enter the Honest Hearts DLC and wander into Zion is the White Legs tribe, because they're the tribe that attacks the caravan and kills everybody. <laughs> the White Legs are a tribe that were essentially just a raider group that operated in Utah and harassed local caravans and didn't really know how to sustain themselves in a way other than raiding other people and other tribes. And because of this, they were selected by Caesar's Legion as a potential tribe to kind of encourage to take over the area and stamp out possible enemies of the Legion and then eventually become assimilated into the Legion itself. They are still kind of doing that. They were outfitted by Caesar's Legion members and are tasked with destroying New Canaan, first of all, which they have already done, and now they're just kind of here trying to clean up who was left from that. Yeah. And spoiler alert for New Canaanite gamers, but New Canaan is gone before you even get there. Yeah, so. what's left of New Canaan is here in Zion, and the White Legs are here at the behest of Caesar to try to finish the job that they started and gain admittance into the Legion, or so they think. Caesar doesn't really think that highly of them. He's planning on doing that thing where he says, oh yeah, you'll be lauded among our people, and then he winds up burning and salting the earth and just turning them into good little legionaries like he did with every other tribe that he's done so far. So you have the White Legs, mm -hmm. and then you have our, which one would you say is the innocent do-gooders, the Sorrows or the dead horses? The Sorrows are the innocent do-gooders. The Sorrows are... They, they live in Zion. This is where they were formed. This is where they've grown up. And they've grown up very peaceful. The tribe values kindness and honesty and peace overall above everything else because they were taught to by their deity, the father in the caves, who told them to be good to each other and to defend this land, but above all else, be kind. Because of that, they really don't have much in the way of defending themselves against a force like the White Legs, which are coming in to attack them and take their land and sow discord <laughs> among the people. They're a little ill-equipped, I guess you could say. Which is weird to me because I just spoke to a certain someone in this cave who we'll get to later, and he talks about how the Sorrows can like hunt really well, which I would assume would translate to repelling outsiders. Yeah, it's more but. of a difference in morals. They are good hunters, like you say, and they revere a lot of the wildlife that live in the Zion Valley around the river and in the caves and canyons there. And in fact, they make a lot of their weapons out of things like yaogwai claws and teeth and things like that. But when it comes to dealing with other people, they're, I guess you, the word that I would use is naive, and they're in trouble because of that. 
Okay. And that is also why the dead horses are here, if we're going to get into them. The dead horses were a tribe that were threatened by the white legs in the territory around New Canaan. They were also a little ill-equipped to deal with the white legs, but they had a visitor come and find them and teach them how to use old world technology to defend themselves and drive the white legs away from their lands. And now they are here to finish that job and try to get rid of the white legs altogether. At the same time, they're also protecting the sorrows. And the person leading them... Yeah, now you can't hide. Now you have to say his name. All right, I wanted to bring up the fact that in our last episode, you said something to the effect of Caesar and his model for the wasteland leaves no room for failure. And we, Did I say that? Yeah, you said that. You said something like that about how failure isn't really an option for him. Like, if he fails, he can be oh, viewed as weak. And yeah, I did say that. Good <laughs> yeah. on you for remembering that. I don't remember anything that I say on this. It's out It's out one mouth and into other people's ears, not my own. So. Yeah, well, the character in this cave right here that we are standing in front of is evidence of that and is evidence of Caesar trying to cover up his own failure. So the character in the cave, for those of you who've played this game, you already know, is Joshua Graham. And he was Caesar's best friend and right-hand man in forming Caesar's legion. He was a translator for Caesar's group when they were exploring the lands where they wound up getting captured and then eventually forming the legion and becoming the unstoppable force that is slowly moving west and currently clashing with the NCR over Hoover Dam. And Joshua Graham was kind of the general of Caesar's armies for a very long time until he clashed with the NCR in the first battle of Hoover Dam and led the legion into a trap where a whole bunch of people got killed and Caesar decided that because he couldn't have this failure on his record, he had to make an example of him, even if he was his bestie. <laughs> so what did they do? They set him on fire and threw him into the Grand Canyon. Gave him the old emperor's new groove old guy treatment. <laughs> and decided they were never going to speak of him again. <laughs> Even though after this execution that was very public and very much a warning for anybody who might wind up failing Caesar in the future, some legends sprang up that maybe this guy survived. The bird man. <laughs> maybe he crawled out of the river at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and tried to go home. The mummy. <laughs> maybe he took his Mormon ass back to New Canaan. <laughs> And Caesar obviously couldn't have that, so he decided he was going to use this tribe that had already sort of been raised into being a tool for the Legion to get rid of New Canaan entirely and erase any evidence of the man formerly known as Joshua Graham, the Malpais Legate. And so that's why Joshua Graham is here, because New Canaan was wiped out by this tribe, and he is now leading the dead horses as their war chief to attempt to get rid of the white legs and make good on revenge for everybody that died in his, he, in his hometown. Is he here for revenge? That's the real question, isn't it? Because he doesn't seem to think he is. He thinks he's here doing God's work and getting rid of these people that are, in his eyes, broken and worthless and 
evil and he considers it like a cleansing because Zion is special and the people that live in it are special and he is, you know, the right person to lead these tribes in defending Zion against this force of white legs that are here to attack everybody. I would say that he is kind of doing a revenge quest thing though because he can't exactly get revenge on Caesar for what happened to him. Like, trying to get anywhere near Caesar at this point as Joshua Graham is impossible. <laughs> like, if he rolled up on the, on the camp, he would immediately be captured or killed, and that would be it for him. He's pretty recognizable. <laughs> He's very, very wanted by the Legion, even though Caesar is trying against all odds to say, oh yeah, he's dead, he doesn't exist anymore. Well, he's still sending assassins after him. Yeah, he's sending his frumentarius to try to kill him. One of them helped train the White Legs a little bit more in the way of using heavy weaponry to try to kill him and his force of dead horses. Hasn't worked so far. This guy isn't dead yet, he's just hiding in a cave loading guns over there. <laughs> yeah. <It's> eternally <laughs> fiddling with his pistols in a corner. Yeah. And I think that after everything that Joshua Graham has gone through, he may have internalized a little bit of hatred toward the Legion and what, what the people did to him and maybe is using this clash over Zion as a way to make himself feel better about what happened. Do you think the dead horses care about that at all? I think the dead horses well, that's the thing. I think the dead horses probably do have varied opinions on Joshua Graham and how he became their war chief and whether they're doing the right thing here because they're kind of third-partying what's happening to with the White Legs and the Sorrows. Like, the White Legs, yes, they attacked them, but they were driven off by the dead horses, and the dead horses followed them here to Zion to try to finish that war once and for all. Are they here to finish them, or are they here to protect the sorrows? They're here to finish them, and they make that very clear with the end of this game, because you get two pathways with the main story about what you want to do. You can decide that the sorrows and their peaceful ways are more important than anything else and you can evacuate Zion and run away. Or you can pick Joshua Graham's track and his idea for how to fix things is to just wipe the white legs out entirely. Like, cleanse the valley of them. I think they use the word cleanse a few times in okay. there. And there is no in-between. And that is also something that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Because you either pick, oh yeah, run away, or genocide. <laughs> I mean, that goes with what we talked about in the last episode, where with New Vegas as a whole, you don't get your, like, custom-made, uh, I'll spare the innocent people, and I'll kill the baddies. Like, no, there's, like, no matter what you pick, there's going to be some awkward awful thing that happens. You're right, in that you're never going to get, like, the perfect tailor-made ending for your character because you're sort of locked into different narratives no matter what you choose. Mm -hmm. And I think that this DLC really encapsulates that and brings the issue to a head because if you try <laughs> to fit this story about people fighting over like an oasis of greenery and beauty in this wasteland and you just pick two, one of two paths and that's it, like, there's no nuance there. Like, you can't, like, make different choices based on talking to this group or that group. Like, we talk about the white legs in here, 
as like an enemy because that's all they really are in this DLC. They're just cannon fodder for the player to shoot. You can't go up to them and talk to them about why they're here and how they feel about things. And in the rest of New Vegas in the game, you pretty much could do that, except for like with a few of the raider groups that mm-hmm. are just meant to be NPCs that you shoot. You would think that these people have a side to this story, and they don't. Like you get you get to talk to the sorrows, you get to talk to the dead horses, and that's it. And then each of them are led by a person who is kind of pushing them in one direction. Joshua Graham is pushing the dead horses and the sorrows toward war. Daniel, who's kind of a Mormon missionary, also a new Canaanite survivor, who's living with the sorrows and teaching them about Jesus Christ, (laughs) is kind of pushing the sorrows to run away. And you can talk to both of them about it. But the dead horses and the sorrows themselves really don't have a lot to say about this situation either. (laughs) And I want to point out that these are both indigenous coded groups with two white guys leading them. (laughs) Like, it starts to get really iffy about whether or not these people have the best interests of the people they're leading in mind. And it comes across as irresponsible on the the game writer's end too, because it kind of seems like they put all their effort into these two missionaries who are leading the groups instead of putting more effort into the tribal characters themselves. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, like the nuance that is in the rest of Fallout New Vegas at large really kind of isn't here in this DLC, at least in my opinion. It is pretty nice. The two options are utterly exterminate a group of people or flee paradise (laughs) do not put up a fight at all the weird thing about the joshua graham deciding to wipe out the white legs tribe storyline too is that at the very end of it you find the leader of the white legs like their war chief and Mm -hmm. you have him at your mercy and you get to talk to joshua graham and decide whether to kill him or not and it feels really weird to me because the leader gets like a little bit of leeway and you get to talk to him and decide huh maybe i'm not gonna kill this guy but none of the other white legs get that kind of mercy None of them. Does it factor into the ending at all? It factors into Joshua Graham's ending. It doesn't really factor into the White Legs ending. I mean, like, the post-credits, like, here's what happened to everybody. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the White Legs ending doesn't really change all that much, whether you spare the leader or not. They kind of are defeated and go off and disappear no matter which whether you choose to kill the chief or not joshua graham gets a little bit of a changed ending deciding oh yeah he learns temperance if you if you tell him not to kill this person or he becomes like the bloodthirsty guy that everybody already knew again with the legion even though he's supposedly doing it in god's name this time (laughs) he's he's doing it you know for the greater good type thing which just tells me that he's wrapped back around to his original views while he was with the legion we'll we'll get back to him in the legion and how that reflects on his his current practices later but i did want to ask you now that we've in a very roundabout way gotten back to talking about the endings which path would you say is the best the goodest? Which one do you pick? I don't like either of the endings here. I especially don't like the black and whiteness of it. I have played both of them. I have played the evacuation route where the sorrows remain peaceful, but they therefore suffer because, you know, they are cast out of this valley that they've been living in and they're homeless for a while and 
they go through a whole like really long journey of trying to find a new homeland and a bunch of people die like that sort of thing and then I've also played the end where they decide to defend their homeland against the white legs and then they become more warlike and they start to clash with the other tribes around them including the dead horses the people who showed up to try to to try to help them ostensibly there is no good ending to this DLC there's no perfect ending I think I would lean more toward Defense of the Valley, though, because Zion is a special place in the Wasteland, but I think that the way they go about telling that story in this DLC is very heavy-handed. So you picked the right one. That's the objectively <laughs> correct one. It's not right, though. Like, there's no way, to, there's no middle ground here. There's no way to go to the members of the tribes themselves and figure out what they would like to do. You're just picking what one guy has decided that this group is going to do. Yeah. And I take issue with that. I feel like we are talking about two different things, though, because there's the, there's the, like, overall narrative, and then there's the, like, kind of more meta thing of, like, here's two Mormons telling everybody what should happen. Do you think that it's kind of an easy way out if you had a middle option that everyone would just gravitate towards then? Because, oh, well, of course I'll protect the valley but not exterminate people. Like, I feel like 95% of players would just pick that then. You're right, but I also think that in the base game for Fallout New Vegas, there is a middle ground in the Yes Man track to finish the game that isn't perfect either. And I think that if they had more time and put some more thought into this DLC, they could have written a middle ground for people to take that isn't perfect either. I think it's a combination of the devs not having enough time to work on this DLC as with everything else that happened in this game, and a little bit of insensitivity when it comes to the writing of the tribal characters and how they are shaped by two white Mormon guys in the desert who just decided to, you know, become the leaders of the respective groups that are fighting over Zion. You'll have to refresh my memory here, because I, I just spoke with Joshua Graham. Uh, oh, in person. In, yeah, yeah. No, it, I was playing through the beginning stages of this, and he talks about how he is the war chief, and he's got the powers that, the in his words, that the dead horses gave to him. It's not like he stormed in and took over. But what does Daniel have? What's his authority again over the sorrows? Daniel's, if he has any. Daniel's authority is just that he was a missionary that was working with the tribe already before New Canaan was destroyed, and he was trying to spread the word of the Mormon book, the Book of Mormon, <laughs> to them and teach them about the religion and try to convert them. And I believe that's why he survived, because he wasn't in New Canaan when the White Legs attacked it. Right. So he's just kind of here trying to encourage the Sorrows to save themselves and not worry about Zion. He wants them to leave. He wants them to evacuate. A large portion of the tribe, when you reach um, Zion for the first time, has already left. Like, most of the women and kids are gone, and it's just the fighting age members of the tribe that are still around. And I really think that the only reason he's there in like a seat of power among the sorrows is just because he knows the white legs better than they do. That's it. Would you really say he's in charge then if they've already made a big decision in evacuating their women and children? There isn't another authority figure for the Sorrows, though. Like, there isn't any other person who's in charge there. I believe they have a shaman, but he's only there as a religious figure. 
and they've got a follower that you can pick up to, um, Waking Cloud, but she's a midwife, like she's like a medical person. <laughs> what I want to know is who's protecting everybody out in the like wherever they the women and children fled, like. If everyone fight in fighting condition is in the valley, <laughs> like it, they sent some warriors with them. Like they're not by themselves. Well, I hope so, because like, <laughs> it just doesn't seem very well thought out. If it's like just raiders and death claws and stuff outside, just eating everyone. <laughs> Don't worry, everybody. We made a decision, and they just come back to just an absolutely destroyed camp. That's actually part of Waking Cloud's story. Um, if you talk to her a bit, you find out that her husband went with her children to leave the valley, and Daniel heard that he was killed in an attack while they were leaving, but hasn't told Waking Cloud yet because he figures it might hurt her morale. Like she might get too sad to do to be useful. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. I like that. <laughs> and you could decide whether to tell her or not, but it, it's... That's another example of, of him putting his own fears ahead of like the people that he's actually supposed to be taking care of and advising. <laughs> what happens if you tell her? She gets upset, but she thanks you for telling her the truth. Okay. And I don't think there's, like, I don't think, she gets a little bit of a change to her ending. Like, she takes another husband if she's told about it, but she, like, is a bit more protective of the next one. Okay. Um, but if you don't tell her, she finds out after everything happens, <gasps> and she never forgives Daniel. No. <laughs> Daniel, no. But, like... That was, that's, that's writing, like, that's interesting for one character, and I wish that they'd had the time to get into depth with the rest of, like, Sorrow's characters the way they did with her. Because, as it is, they're just kind of like this group of people that are more of an idea rather than actual people. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because, I mean, there's literally, like, very few speaking roles, so you just kind of treat them like a, a blob and, like, a bunch of ideas, like you said. Totally unrelated, but this morning when I was playing this, you mentioned the different followers. Um, Just a little peek behind the curtain. I haven't played this DLC in like two years. And so I booted it up. I'm at the beginning where the caravan gets absolutely rocked by white legs. And I try crossing a bridge. And one of the white legs lights me up with a machine gun. I turn around, run away and I switch to a sniper rifle. And I look at the rock that the guy is standing on, and I shoot at the person standing on the rock. Oh no. And I get like, uh, I'm like, who the hell is follows Chalk? And why is he shooting at me? And I'm getting a bunch of like quest line failed <laughs> things. And I, and I reloaded it. And then <laughs> I run across the bridge again, and I see that the guy that lights me up gets killed by Follows Chuck. <laughs> I completely forgot that part. So, yeah, coming back to this, I just lit up one of the follower characters. I'm like, why the hell am I failing, like, three quests right now after I just <laughs> killed somebody? What the hell's going on? And I kind of love that about these older um, RPGs where they don't really hold your hand a ton and you can just massively fuck things up. I definitely reloaded the save. It's like, no, that's my friend. That's my friend. No. 
And I, uh, yeah, I went on the wiki, and I was like, whoa, this guy's got, like, quests about him, and he's a companion? <laughs> What's going on? That asshole is shooting at me. No, oh, he's a good guy. But one of the things that caught my eye was one of the quests was, like, civilized man's burden. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's dangerously close to white man's burden yeah they're doing a they're doing a play on the on that phrase for sure yeah yeah so i i definitely see the indigenous coded stuff there like it's not even i mean there's um there's a perk too i leveled up again this morning i leveled up and there's a perk called like sneering imperialist and it's like, you're not a fan of junkies or a tribals or whatever. And then it was like, you get damage bonuses against this, 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 and the tribals of Zion. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. That's pretty, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. A little, a little icky. A little fucked up. There, okay. So whenever the discussion of tribals comes up, particularly about this DLC, You'll see people who are defending it saying, well, they're not supposed to be Native American. They are meant to be a tribe. Each of these tribes is supposed to be made up of a conglomerate of different cultures that got mashed together post-nuclear war. Um, like, I think, I think that, I'd have to look it up, but I think one of them has, like, German and Swedish and um, there's some Native American tribe mashed in there as well. And then their language is meant to be a pidgin language combination of all of those. And the language itself was a little bit of a of an issue for developing the DLC because um, Bethesda <laughs> put a limit on the number of recorded lines you could make for characters in the base game and for the DLC, which is why a lot of the DLC feature characters that aren't voiced and characters that use pidgin languages because then you can record like you know a handful of fortune cookies worth of words and then just kind of mash them together to make random sentences that sound somewhat like a person speaking okay and that's what happened here and then in addition to that the tribes use like body paint um, and feathers and various i guess you could say native coded items in order to express themselves how they dress up, how they look. And the body paint itself was a huge issue for the devs because they wanted to apply it to um, all of the characters in a different tribe to denote which tribe they belong to, but the skin tones wouldn't work with the body paint, so they wound up having to homogenize the skin tones for all of the characters in each tribe. So that's why everybody in the tribe is meant to be like the same color. Like they're trying to trying to make the body paint texture work on top of the, right. on top of the skin tones, which is why the white legs are all pretty pale, the dead horses are all pretty tan, and the sorrows are more olive skinned. Okay. And that's Joshua Joshua Sawyer, Josh Sawyer, the dev for and main writer for this DLC, um, lead dev for the game itself, said that it came across as like a couple of white guys being in charge of people of color right <laughs> and they didn't intend for that to happen but that's how the game shipped because they ran out of time he even said that i think daniel was supposed to be asian and he didn't know at what point in the development process he became a white guy but somewhere along the line he became a wow. white guy so you'll see people who throw stuff like that out when they're talking about how this isn't meant to be indigenous coded this isn't meant to be a story about a couple of white guys taking over some tribes and deciding they're gonna play cowboys and indians 
but I take issue with the writing over the language and the models that are used in game. So, why is Joshua Graham such a divisive figure for some players? I wonder who came up with this lovely question. Mm-hmm. Well, when you asked me to, to make some honest arts quests. No, you're revealing <laughs> the creative process. <laughs> when you ask me to stay on topic, stay on script. When you ask me about topics for honest heart, you you can't talk about this um, DLC without talking about Joshua Graham and about how he looms large over this DLC. Aside from the courier themselves, I would say he's kind of the main character of this DLC. <laughs> People never shut up about this fucking guy. He's something. <laughs> he's badass. <laughs> Uh, first of all, he's got a cool design. Like you said, he's he's a mummy man who is wrapped up all in bandages. The only thing you can see of him are his his eyes, I think. A little bit of his nose. A little bit of his nose and his hands. A little bit. Yeah. And um, he's wearing like a like a SWAT vest and jeans, and he's continuously loading guns in a character animation in this cave when you first meet him. Josh Sawyer has said when he was writing Joshua Graham, he wanted him to feel underwhelming because he's built up a little bit in the main game as like this vengeful ghost that haunts the Legion at night as a symbol of the Legion's failure and like a monster that they tell their kids about at bedtime to make them behave. Meanwhile, he's just like this old guy who's burned up and sitting in a cave loading guns and is pretty easy to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this morning when I was talking to him in my office in real life, no, in, in this little cave here, I was like, all right, like every time I bring up Joshua Graham to people online, like they're like, holy fucking shit. So I, I can't remember. Does this hold up? And then he's like, hello, here is my history. Here are my little my little zumbinis that have elected me to be their war chief. I believe Jesus Christ is my personal savior. And, uh, yep, can you go do this mission for me? I'm like, oh, this is a nice little cave guy. A little spooky mummy man. I like that he's he's more than willing to tell you how to get out of Zion, but he's like, but actually, you know what would be fun is if you stuck around and helped me wipe out a tribe. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> Fuck the white legs. You don't have to like the white legs. That's fine. Like, they're they're being shitty. But also, Joshua Graham is being shitty, so, you know, acknowledge that, too. Is he? Yeah, I think he is. Okay. Say it. How is he being shitty? Um, Joshua Graham is, number one, yes, in a position that the dead horses put him in. I would like to point out that that's exactly what happened with Caesar and the tribe that he joined. They put him in the position of war chief, and now Joshua Graham is doing the exact same thing with a different tribe. But Joshua Graham didn't do anything. He just, they put him in charge of their war stuff. After what? You tell me. (laughs) After he showed them how to use weapons to defeat one of their enemies. Is that bad? That's exactly what happened to form the Legion. That's exactly what happened there. Okay, well, if Caesar drinks a glass of water, do I need to start drinking lemonade now? I don't know. Was the glass of water delivered by a slave? (laughs) That doesn't have anything. (laughs) Should everyone in... Actually, you know, never mind. I was going to say, should everyone in New Vegas just get rid of their guns then? Um, (laughs) that's That's a whole other story. But, like, the concept of... Arming to protect yourself isn't, like, an exclusively imperialist 
thing. But we're past protecting themselves here. The dead horses, like I said, are here because they're chasing down the white legs. They're not defending themselves anymore. They are actively waging war on somebody outside of their territory in someone else's territory. <laughs> oh, well, I guess the white legs are pretty harmless. Oh, wait a second. In the first, like, five seconds of this DLC, the white legs wipe out a caravan. Why? Because they're assholes. No, because they were told to do that by who? By Caesar's Legion. Okay, does that give them a free pass? Like, oh, they can't help it. <laughs> they I'm have to kill. I'm saying Joshua Graham is here taking a position that Caesar took to get himself at the head of the Legion to attack a tribe that he helped raise up to become the warmongering people that they are. He created all of the problems that are in this DLC, and he's attempting to solve them using the same tactics that caused them. So? <laughs> That's it, just so. I don't care. I, if you get rid of the white legs, what happens? If we get rid of the white legs, then why are the dead horses here? They shouldn't be here. Then they leave. Yeah, sure. Do they? I think they go back to their to their land mm. after the white legs are, you know, driven out or exterminated, depending on how you do it. But they also start to clash with the sorrows, because the dead horses and the sorrows both kind of like Zion. Both maybe think it's a nice place to live. Oh, weird. Well, I would take little clashes here and there versus... Ah, I'm literally going to kill everyone that isn't in my tribe on site. Ah, that that was my uh, white legs impression, white legs. by the way. Ah, I, I, I have no voice lines. I have no leader. They have that a couple guy. of voice lines. It's just, you know, the battle, like, ooh, uh, <laughs> and then they say, like, a word here or there. Yeah, my, <laughs> my point is, if I were with the Sorrows or the dead horses, I would not be like, ah, oh, let me consider the philosophical nature of our leader, or sorry, our war chief, because he's not even their full all-around leader. I would say, fuck these guys. They're trying to kick us off of our land. They're killing everybody. They already wiped out a group of people. Like, there's no philosophizing about New Canaan and whether it's right or wrong for them to defend themselves. They're gone. But would you put the guy who created the White Legs in the first place in charge of your attacking party? How did he create the White Legs? He was, he scouted them out. He was one of the people that was like, hey, you should join the Legion. We could really use people like you. And then they were like, yeah, that's a good idea. And they started attacking everybody around them because that's what they wanted them to do. They wanted to wear down the people in the area. That's, if I that's, if, that's the Legion's MO. Like they try to, they come in and try to convince the leaders of the tribes in the area that they'd be really good in the Legion and we would we would value them as warriors. You should attack your neighbors, the people that we don't like and take over their land so that when we come through, we don't have to fight as many people. And then once they do that, they stamp out any of the leaders of the tribe they've raised up and take their kids and raise them as now, legionaries. Now are you saying that was Joshua Graham or Caesar? That was Joshua Graham. Okay. <laughs> Joshua Graham is a translator. That was his primary job. He would go and talk to the other tribes and try to convince them to join. Honestly? I don't care about his past if he's helping us defend our land. Why don't we care about his past? Because how does how does caring about his past help me defend my home? If if you're te if you're telling me, oh dude, you know that guy who like got a tribe to be badass and attack people, 
and now he's volunteering his services to help us defend ourselves, and he's changed his worldview, and he got thrown off a fucking cliff and survived. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like a cool guy. The guy that everyone's afraid of, and now he's offering to help us. Sure. I would argue he hasn't changed his worldview, because like I said, he is attempting to do the exact same things that he and Caesar did. He's just doing it in the name of God and in the opposite direction this time. <laughs> the opposite direction? Yeah, like against this... Caesar. Okay, he doesn't seem to have any imperialist goals here. Really? Really? He led a tribe out of their land to come bother somebody else's land. You can... No uh, imperialistic tendencies whatsoever. I just talked to the man, and he seems nice. Yeah, you fell for the Keith Zarabica voice acting that a lot of he's people He's great, did. and he sounds great, but you you even said he le- the, the dead horses leave the area eventually. Mm, they're still kind of, they, that border between them and the, and the sorrows gets really fuzzy after this all goes down. That comes with your being an organized society. That's just a thing that happens with humans. Not good fuzzy, bad fuzzy. Yeah, that just happens. You're gonna get that. uh, We've not liked our apartment neighbors before. That's true. Like, that just, that's a thing that happens. Like, ah, tension with other humans. Better not read a history book. I think that that tension could have been better explored if they had bothered to write more than two endings for this game. Well, that's the fucking frustrating part, (laughs) because I want to argue about this. I'm willing to go to bat for Joshua Graham. But like you said, they say which way Western man kill everyone in their families or puss out and abandon heaven on earth, basically. A, A lovely paradise here. Yeah, a paradise that is... Like, it makes sense that you would fight over it. Zion in this game is beautiful. That's one of the, like, comments that was really, really big when this DLC first came out, was that, wow, this is like a paradise compared to the rest of the Wasteland. Like, you look at this, then you look at the Mojave, and you're like, mm, I'll tell you Zion, Zion's beautiful. Yeah, if they ever do Zion make- has rain! There is no rain in the desert. I spent a <laughs> solid minute in this sucking on water, because um, Follows Chalk was like, I hope you don't mind getting a little wet, and I was like, oh, water, and I stepped in, and I didn't hear my Geiger counter going <laughs> and so my my health bar was like halfway through and I just sat there holding down the E key just going <laughs> and you could see the water level dropping in the key you can actually <laughs> that's how I felt and I was like oh my god this is beautiful I can just keep drinking and I'm not gonna sprout another limb if anything like if we're if we're talking about realistically how these different cultures and groups would interact, this place should be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's hidden has helped it so far. Zion is kind of tucked away in the middle of the desert, and unless you know where it is, you're not going to find it because you're not going to be wandering around in the desert and running into Zion. Like, <laughs> I mean, but people know about it. Eh. There's a whole ass caravan. 
the caravan doesn't actually know the area. That's why they hire the courier because they need the maps on the. Oh, I've never been there before. Well, they need they need your Pip Boy, which has maps loaded into it to try to get them through the various caverns and canyons that they need to navigate to get to New Canaan. And they're also the first expedition from that Happy Trails caravan to get out there. <laughs> oh. Like this is their maiden voyage. Well, it things didn't, didn't go well. It didn't go so well. <laughs> All right, so we've been kind of arguing and ragging on some parts of this DLC, but I wanted to know your your favorites. Are there any good things about this DLC? Uh, well, I like Waking Cloud. I think Waking Cloud is an interesting character, and I'm always welcoming of any followers that are ladies hanging out in the wasteland that aren't just, like, tragic. <laughs> but... Yes, <laughs> she has a tragic element to her story, but she's also a... Um, she's got more going on than that. She's got three kids. She's a mom. She's a midwife, so she helps out um, people in her tribe in some tangible way. She also uses a Yaogwai gauntlet and um, leads you on a journey to make your own and uh, find the ghost of she, which is a ghostly Yaogwai you can fight. And she also is the person who introduces you to a bit of the Sorrow's um, religious beliefs too. She teaches you about the father in the caves and how the Sorrows came to live in Zion and why they have some of the beliefs that they do about about being peaceable. Yeah, I feel like I didn't get enough of the Sorrows during my first playthrough. I was pretty much buddy-buddies with the dead horses and I didn't hang out a ton with the Sorrows. I could not tell you what Daniel looks like out of a lineup of people either. So <laughs> I mean, he's pretty milk toast as far as character designs go, so that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it's just, from what you've told me, the sorrows sound like they're very interesting. They are, and I wanted to point out that the father in the caves and the story of how the sorrows became peace-loving is something that, first of all, wasn't written by Josh Sawyer. It was written by a different writer for the game. And a lot of people who've played Honest Hearts kind of view it as that middle path that you're looking for, mm -hmm. about how you can be kind to the people in your, in your tribe and protective of the valley and defensive about it and, and its bounty, its beauty, without you know, losing that part of yourself that, that is peace-loving. Um, and that is something that you only find through working with Waking Cloud, getting to know the Sorrows a little bit better, and exploring a lot of the cave systems in Zion. And you can miss that very easily if you're just trying to mainline the story here and get out. <laughs> me. That's me. How do they defend the valley? if they're so peaceful. Well, they've gotten very lucky in that so far nobody has bugged them. The White Legs are kind of their big, first big enemy that they've had to deal with other than the wildlife that live in the area, which as you pointed out, they're already pretty good at dealing with. So you're telling me that they're only good at protecting the valley so long as no one is trying to get into the valley? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a good worldview and will probably stand the uh, little stress test from the White Legs. I think that, again, if they had expanded a little bit on the father in the caves and made it an option for people, like, less of an option and more of, like, an imperative to go find the stuff in the caves, then you could have made something out of that, because that is the middle ground. The story about the guy who, his name was Randall Dean Clark, he was camping here when the bombs fell, 
he trekked back to uh, his hometown, found out that his wife and child had been killed by a nuclear blast, and having nowhere else to go, he retreated to Zion and lived here until the end of his days. And when he was an old man, a group of children came to live in Zion, and they had escaped from some place. They call it the school, and the evil person keeping them there was called the principal. <laughs> Dude, I can't escape schools getting demonized. There is no escape. But it was a it was a mixed group of kids. They all spoke some pigeon language that he wasn't really like familiar with, but he wanted to take care of them. So he would leave them like little gifts, like to lead them to food, lead them to water, um, weaponry to protect themselves. But he didn't want to like encounter like he didn't want to just walk up to them and talk to them because he thought that he would be underwhelming. Like, he's just an old man who's lonely mm-hmm. and been living in the cave system for too long, doesn't know how to act around people. And because of that, he died without ever meeting these kids he was taking care of, and they started to mythologize him. Like, they called him the father in the caves. He would lead them to things that would help them and and teach them how to care for themselves and become a community. And he would leave them notes I think one of the last notes that he left before he died was talking about how they need to be kind to each other above all else, and that's why they that's why they idolize like peace. How did he communicate that if they spoke a different language? He picked up on their words and he wrote them a note. Okay. And they they consider the cave systems in Zion sacred and don't go into them because this guy had been living in, in them for so long that he had like booby traps and stuff. God. And somebody who went into a cave died. And that's why they were like, no, he doesn't want us going in there. We're going to leave him alone. And that's how they never found out that he was a real person that was trying to help them. And if you take Waking Cloud into a cave for the first time, she'll stop you and say, we shouldn't be here. This is a sacred place. But unless you do that, you don't get to find out who Randall Dean Clark was and why he was taking care of these kids and why he thought they needed to be kind to each other because he had seen too much of the world. Like, he'd seen too much of people fighting. He lost two wives and two children along the way in his life. He saw an entire vault group, like, move into the canyon at one point and then become cannibals and start eating people. And that's why there's spore carriers around this canyon occasionally. But isn't it like a... How did they end up being cannibals? Isn't this, like, the easiest place to find food? They weren't very good at it because they were in a vault for forever. They had everything provided to them. They didn't know how to hunt or grow anything. Also, also they were all infected with those spores from that one vault that's all plant life. Okay, that's probably, like, a larger part of it, I would say, (laughs) is being infected with evil spores. Yeah, it doesn't help things. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he'd seen multiple groups come through Zion at that point, and they had all, like, all of their survival attempts had ended in failure because they couldn't get along with each other. And that's why he was trying to impress upon these kids that they need to cooperate and be peaceful with among themselves. And he died before he could, you know, actually work up the courage to go teach them how to defend their land, too. Like, that's why people view that as the middle ground. Like, if Randall Dean Clark had had more time, if these kids had actually come to know him as a person and not as a deity, maybe that maybe that capacity to defend Zion would be there. It just isn't. So you're fine with someone teaching them how to defend themselves so long as they live in a cave and don't actually face the group that they're speaking to? I am fine with people learning how to defend Zion 
as long as it is a choice that they are making and not a choice that some bandaged guy who wants to get revenge on Caesar is making. So, like, if it's someone that they chose. <laughs> if it's somebody who has their best interests in mind, yes. And their interests right now include defending themselves. Their interests include hanging on to Zion and what it represents. Defending themselves, defending, would you say? Yeah, defending themselves. From a group that attacks I told everyone. you, I picked, I picked Joshua <laughs> Graham's ending over the runaway from everything ending because Zion is a special place and it has provided everything that these people have needed so far. I think Joshua Graham is the wrong person to listen to when it comes to waging war on a, is he? On a tribe. Yeah, If I want to go to war with somebody, I would probably want Joshua Graham in my corner. I'm not picking the guy who wound up creating the Legion. He was he was hand in hand with Caesar at the start of that. You cannot get away from that. You can't get around it. You know what the Legion has done. Yeah, I know, you know what Legion, it is. I know the Legion's bad, but he seems like he's changed quite a bit. He <laughs> I think that's also why a lot of people like Joshua Graham, because he represents the idea that you can change at any point in your life and try to become a better person. And that is something that really resonates with people. The fact that somebody this awful could turn around and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to try to be somebody who does good in the world, and I'm not going to continue down this path of darkness that I've done so far. I would say that Joshua Graham is saying that. I say he believes it. In his actions, though, I don't see it. I see him doing the same things that he did when he was leading the Legion. Is he telling the dead horses to have slaves? Is he crucifying people? <laughs> it's funny you bring up the crucifixion, because he was okay with that. <laughs> That's very funny to he me. He changed! <laughs> He's a changed man! He's trying to wipe out a people, and I can't ignore that. <laughs> well, you also went along with it. No. I didn't. I mean, you I did. You picked his ending. I did, but I, I, if my choices are run away and inflict suffering upon the sorrows for several generations because they've been kicked out of their homeland, or defend the homeland and the sorrows are irrevocably changed and become more warmongery and just defending yourself does not make you a warmonger. But that's what happens if you do that in the game. Protecting, like, your area and getting into clashes with people is not, like, being a warmonger. I agree with you. That's not what the ending of the game says. Okay, because so far you've just said tensions. Okay, so the ending of the game for the Sorrows, if you pick Joshua Graham's route and go after the White Legs and stamp them out or drive them out of the valley, is that the Sorrows see this and, and then see that as the only way that they can continue to survive in Zion and therefore become more militarized, more likely to be aggressive when they meet other tribes that come in, more protective of the valley that they live in to the point where they start to act like the dead horses and go beyond it to get rid of threats that they perceive off in the distance rather than waiting for them to show up. Like, they lose all of that kindness that they had at the start of this DLC. They you, lose it. It's gone. Are you... See, I feel like that's almost infantilizing them that they wouldn't eventually just do that on their own if they're confronted with bad shit in the wasteland. Like, if these are people who are living out here, eventually they are going to either adapt to what's going on around them or die. Yep. Like, like they, they're not just innocent little blank slates that we have to coddle. 
and stuff. Like if they if they themselves witness a conflict and their leaders decide, whoa, we need to get ready because that shit was crazy and we weren't ready to handle it. I mean, isn't that literally what you were talking about with like, we shouldn't just have two white guys in charge that are deciding everything. That sounds like a moment where the tribe is making the decision because they're obviously not listening to Daniel McRunaway pants. They're deciding on their own, like, whoa, get our shit together. We need to defend our land here. I agree with you. However, my gripe is with the fact that there is, like, you can't have both. You get one or the other. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't like the, the very fucked up, <laughs> again, genocide or abandon your homeland yeah like that's it's very shit but i'm just saying that teaching a group of people to defend themselves and also another group of people observing that and deciding that they are going to need to fight to preserve their their way of living and where they live that's not some oh it is the death of innocence like some original sin shit like that's just the way this this operates. Like, yeah, you're gonna have to defend yourself. But do you need to be so... Do you need to go so far down that road that you wind up doing what the Dead Horses are doing and what the Legion did in that they decide, yeah, we're gonna annex the next door neighbors because we need to, you know, protect our own and our own safety? Like, the Sorrows basically become another war tribe after this DLC. By war tribe, do you mean a tribe that will fight people? With no good reason, yeah. <laughs> What's the example of no good reason? The example of no good reason would be they start to clash with everybody nearby them instead of just keeping to their own land. Okay. <laughs> I wish I could pull up some of the screens here and show you the, the ending slides for, for the sorrows. It, here's what I'll say. Because they just make me upset. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's, like, actually tragic if they learn how to fight? No, I don't think it is. Well, then what's the big deal? I think that you should characterize your tribe, the Sorrows, so that you can have both kindness and defensiveness when it comes to Zion. And I don't think you and I are in disagreement there, like yeah. I've said multiple times. If we're picking one or the other here, I've already said that I would rather pick the, de the defensive route and get rid of the white legs if you can. I'm just not happy about that choice. Okay. That's it. Okay, so you're making the right choice, you're just not happy about it. All yeah, right, you, I understand. Just mm, <laughs> silly. You mentioned the voice line bits, specifically the lack thereof. Um, and the little tricks that they've had to do to squeeze a little extra dialogue out of this. Is there any other little development quirks or fun facts you have about Honest Hearts? I would say that in terms of writing the character Joshua Graham, Josh Sawyer drew on a couple of different media as inspiration. He likened him to the prodigal son from the biblical parable. And also, is it, is it Paul? Paul who used to be Saul. Paul the Apostle. I only watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he also compared him to Lawrence of Arabia, which I don't know if you know anything about that movie or the story. <laughs> uh, isn't it a British like officer in Arabia during World War One? 
I, two? Honestly, no, it's not two. I don't think it's oh, two. Oh, well, then it's probably one. It's World War One. He kind of cast Joshua Graham as this figure who didn't mean to be the monster that he is and just kind of wound up there by circumstance. And that's something that I think people in the fan base have debated for ages. Like, everybody and their mother who has found Josh Sawyer's um, social media accounts has asked him at one point or another a question about Joshua Graham. And a lot of people have asked how into the Legion's stuff was he (laughs) while he was with the Legion? Mm -hmm. Like, was he actively participating in the looting, the pillaging, the enslaving, the crucifixion, all that fun stuff. And Josh Sawyer, you know, being a game dev, has kind of been hedgy about his answers, but he answered a couple of years ago a question from somebody who used to have debates about this with their friend, and then their friend passed away, and they brought this up and said he wanted to know whether um, Joshua Graham had been, you know, a really shitty person at heart, or if he was just kind of around and swept up in the in the the glory of it all, of the Legion moving west and becoming this unstoppable titan. And Josh Sawyer said something very diplomatic, of course, but at the end he said, if you want to know how he feels about Caesar, note the fact that he calls him Caesar and not Kaiser. And I was like, that's interesting, but also that's kind of a non-answer because there are a whole bunch of people that don't like Caesar anymore after something happened to them, but they used to. Yeah, it doesn't really answer the question of, again, how how much of an active participant he was. Right, so the point I'm trying to make is that Joshua Graham is ambiguous about whether he still cares about his old friend Edward Sallow who became Caesar or not. I don't know if it, that's that ambiguous. <laughs> Seems like he doesn't like him. Seems like maybe you wouldn't like him after you were set on fire and thrown into the ground. Yeah, yeah, I probably wouldn't care too much about... I don't think you need a dialogue thing that outright states, I do not like Caesar anymore. Well, yes and no, because it's just been a subject of endless debate among the fan base ever since this DLC came out. There were a lot of people who thought, yeah, he's, he's doing the same old things that he used to do with the Legion. He's just, you know, doing them with the different groups and doing them in the name of the Lord. And he thinks he's going to find absolution doing that, but there's no way that he can. Maybe he can find peace with himself, but that doesn't erase everything that he did when he was the Malpais Legate. Like, what do you say about all of the people that he helped to conquer and enslave back east in Arizona and New Mexico. Can you ever atone for something like that? You can say, yeah, you can come back from anything. Like the prodigal son can come home after partying for several years, wearing rags and completely lice infested, and his dad will welcome him with open arms and say, yeah, you're still my son, I still love you. But the prodigal son never did what Joshua Graham did, as far as we know. I mean, what what could he do at this point? What, I don't know. That's a good question. And if you're talking about things he could do to atone for it, if you can't accept like his own personal just admission of like, well, it was pretty fucked up. I'm trying to do right by, you know, helping this group of people who's taken me in and chosen me to lead them in war. 
then what he could do is he could get a bunch of people together and then attack <laughs> attack Caesar's legion and dismantle it. But then people would accuse him of just doing the same thing that he did before. But only something of that scale would be enough for him to have atoned for his actions before. So I feel like there's really no way out because if he tried to do something on the scale that would undo the what he'd done under Caesar, that's warmongering, that's too big. If he goes off in a little cave and tries to just help people near him, then that's not enough, Joshua Graham. You need to be out there doing more work. And so I, I personally just go the route of like, he'd atone for it. You can't win them all. You know, he fucked up. <laughs> what can I say? He fucked up and you can either dwell on it or you can help him protect people. He fucked up so bad he created a slave empire. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. I am firmly in the camp that he should just move into a cave and stay there for the rest of his days. That's what he's doing. No, he's not. He's in a cave right now. He's, he's here. Look at him. He's also throwing a war party while he's at it. He's, people <laughs> picked him to have him help them. Again, what would you have him do? I think you're right in that if he, like, for example, went to the NCR and said, hey, I'm not a big fan of my bestie anymore. I want to help you take him down. Oh, warmonger. No, no, no. First, Joshua Graham, first of all, violent. First of all, the NCR would just execute him because he killed so many of their people. Like, he would be maybe have a trial and then get hung or something. Hanged. <laughs> Hanged, sorry. We don't know what he's packing down there. If they did accept him and make him a general, which highly unlikely they would not trust him if he walked in the front door and said he was on their side now. Yeah, I think people would say, well, he's doing it. He's just doing it as the NCR now. Which is why I take the stance that he should stay out of everything even resembling local, state, federal politics whatsoever. Doesn't it make it worse if he sees a group of people who's reaching out for help and he would withdraw that help? What help? Help defending themselves. We just talked about it for like half an hour. Well, who's to say that Joshua Graham had to be the person to teach them how to defend themselves? The dead horses! They could have gone to anybody if they wanted to but they didn't. guns. They didn't! <laughs> Was he going to teach him Daniel? I think he tried to disappear. I think he did. That's why he went home to New Canaan, and they took him back in and said, yeah, you're our kid. That's, like, we'll take you back in. You can just live a normal life here. And then it got destroyed. And then the White Legs came calling, and they burned the city, and they killed all of his family, and everybody who lived in the town. And so he went to try to disappear into the dead horses, and then the White Legs started bothering them, too. So he did everything you're asking him to. And this is the position he landed in. I think he tried to, but I think he could not help it when they finally decided to come back a second time after New Canaan was destroyed and said, he said to himself, yeah, I want these people dead. I created them, but I want them gone. Again, <laughs> like the white legs also have agency here. They, sh they don't in this DLC. And I think that that would have been an interesting thing to explore. What if he tried to talk to them and explained that, yeah, I was the guy who came and told you that you could join the Legion, but this is what will actually happen if you join the Legion. So when I say the White Legs don't have agency, I mean they're constantly treated as like, uh, they're working for Caesar, 
therefore it's Caesar's fault. Like, they made the choice of, all right, we'll work with Caesar's Legion. Okay, sure, butcher a whole city. You got it, boss. I love it. I'll do it. Kill those people on sight. Sure thing. Aye, aye, Captain. Again, it's kind of like with the Sorrows where, like, I, I don't want to infantilize these different groups. Like, they're deciding, like, okay, I'll go along with this. Yes, it does suck that it's always outsiders that seem to be nudging them in certain directions. But I'm not going to act like, ah, oh, well, all-powerful Joshua Graham and all-powerful Caesar forced the White Legs to butcher cities that's just the way it is like no they're a group of people that could have said fuck you guys like we're not doing that but here we are okay i'm gonna lay my my trump card on the table here you are correct the white legs if we give them the agency that you would like to give them and say they made this decision to work for the legion they've decided they're gonna be the bad guys here and try to shoot everybody up and get in caesar's good graces I would point you to the Great Cons in Fallout New Vegas, who are also being courted by the Legion as a potential member to join and be a tribe that Caesar then uses as cannon fodder when he attacks Hoover Dam for the second time. And the courier can intervene there and either, you know, go along with the legionary who is kind of hanging out and trying to convince the cons that the NCR, man, they're really awful and you should come fight for us because we both hate the NCR. You could side with that guy and try to get them in on Caesar's side, or you can go and point out that they're just going to use them and then toss them to the side of the road, kill the, kill the adults and take the kids and turn them into good little soldiers like they have with every other tribe. They're not special. They're just another tool that Caesar wants in his toolbox. They didn't do that with the White Legs. They didn't do that with <laughs> they didn't do that with the bad guy tribe in this DLC. And I think that's a missed opportunity because you could have had that discussion. You could have had like if they had had the time, or I don't know if it was time in this case. Maybe it was just that they forgot about the Great Cons back in Fallout New Vegas and how you can intervene there and talk the cons out of making a mistake like that. They didn't give that opportunity to the White Legs. And I think it's dumb that they didn't think back on what they had already written and say, hey, maybe we should include this as an option for the courier to do too. Why can't you go up to the White Legs leader and tell him, yeah, here's paperwork that says that they've... <laughs> Weird, I have a letter from Caesar that says... Kill all the white legs after the job is done. I'm okay. I'm, I'm using. I said paperwork because that's what you do with the great cons. Like you go to Caesar's tent, you find a ledger of all of the tribes that they've assimilated and what they did to do that, and you take it back to the leader of the cons and say, "Here's what will happen to you if you join the Legion." Look. That's so goofy. <laughs> it's very goofy. Well, but we're talking about two different things. I'm talking about just purely like lore and like worldwise when people. People are talking about Joshua Graham like, bro, you created the white legs problem. Like, no, some dickhead with the white legs was like, sure, that sounds great. I'm going to kick the shit out of everyone around me now. <laughs> like, like, yes, I can recognize, like, pressure from outside groups. Caesar's Legion obviously has more manpower and more resources, and so they can bully them into it. But, okay, if we're going to have nuance for them, we can have nuance for Joshua Graham. Joshua Graham already has the nuance. Joshua well, Graham well, yeah, is that's what I'm saying, is that 
if you if you have the nuance for him, you can have that for the white legs. But like if you're if you're saying Joshua Graham evil did bad thing, then you can't also treat the white legs like well the white legs were facing a lot of different issues. It's kind of Joshua Graham's fault too. But that's what the DLC does. They give you this well-written character in Joshua Graham who has different aspects to his personality, different motivations that he might be drawing on for becoming the war chief for the dead horses, and his past with the Legion. And then everybody else around him is a 2D character. Have you heard of the High Elves? <laughs> That's my problem. That's why I say... Okay, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Joshua Graham is a well-written character. He is a good character. I'm not saying that in terms of his morality. I'm saying that he is I will. an interesting person. The problem is that he is one interesting person in the middle of an entire DLC where the rest of the people and setting and stories in it are not as well-developed as him. And that is why I don't like Honest Hearts as a DLC very much. That's my problem I'll, with it. I'll, I'll agree with that because, yeah, even though I... And I'll admit, I went through the DLC pretty quickly. I remember Pretty Canyon, whoa, Mummy Man, <laughs> and the caravan getting schwacked in the beginning. Absolutely splattered. Can you, <laughs> totally divorced from what we were just talking about, can you save them? Like, No. <laughs> what if you, like, quickly put on your Hacker Man glasses and we're just like, console command, kill all white legs. Like... That is, a, that is a development story. Originally, you were supposed to, like, I think when they had early drafts of the story, you were supposed to be able to save some of the caravan members, and then that would become part of your responsibility in the DLC was to try to get them home safely. Okay. And they might add their own two cents on what's happening in Zion and maybe make some decisions that might affect your own gameplay. But I think in the end, just for sake of time and needing to ship this, they decided we're just going to kill them all and it's just you that gets out. I wouldn't be surprised if with a previous framework it would have involved like, do you have Joshua Graham stay with the dead horses or does he try to make Neo new Kanan with the caravan people? Or something. Because the way that he talks, he talks about the Canaanites, or the new Canaanites, as being a tribe. And, like, either it's wishful thinking and it's just him and Daniel. There's some that are off-camera, like, screwing around in the hills. Or maybe that points to content that was cut. Because I think that would have been a cool extra little bit there. Either refugees from the city or the caravan people that managed to survive but yeah i guess the caravan people would probably just want to go back home right wherever well, that is if you know anything about the mormon faith you know they're very into evangelizing so the idea that new canaan might be gone is yes sad and you know they miss the people that were there and they miss the infrastructure that existed in the city but you can always make more of your community like you can go out and find new converts and they'll join your church and be your right. new community and I think that that's what Daniel was attempting to do with the sorrows and is still kind of doing it's a hard sell <laughs> my city was just destroyed come build that city with me again it's a hard sell it's a it hard really sell is. Daniel if you could fix one thing about this though like you pick one focus thing to add or like touch up a bit, what would immediately make this better? 
<laughs> you can only pick one. If you say more than one, I'm hitting stop on the recording. Well, they're also intertwined, though, because one, one thing affects another, affects another. One. Okay, um, I would get rid of Bethesda's voice lines limit, because that would open up a whole bunch of other opportunities for the characters in this, and the development of the two, of the three tribes in general. Four tribes. Four. <laughs> 3.2 tribes. Okay, that implies that 10 people make a tribe. <laughs> You're implying that two people make a tribe here. Well, again, we don't know who's... Okay, again, this is a Bethesda game. You hear shit like, behold, here's my tribe, and it's like, I saw one guy doing push-ups, two people practicing combat, and then like one person walks out of... Angel Cave, and it's like, okay, this is a tribe because this seems like a group of friends. <laughs> They're all some camping, buddies. Yay. Yeah, like <laughs> this doesn't seem like a culture. This seems more like your friend group. But yeah, I like that. I like that idea of opening up the voice line thing. That also seems like I don't know. I haven't looked into any mods for this DLC. Have you? Like, have people tried to flesh this out more? No, I haven't really looked into the mods either to be honest. Alright, fuck it then. Yeah, sorry. Okay. If I could change something, I guess it would be similar. Just to, you know, have more central characters that aren't Daniel and uh, Mummy Man. I have kind of a stupid question. Sure. Why is it called Honest Hearts? It's a quote from Brigham Young. Oh. Yeah. That university guy. Yeah. <laughs> he made that, you know. BYU. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the quote? He had an aphorism that went, "Honest hearts produce honest actions." Do you think that holds true of this uh, this DLC? I think it's trying to examine that aphorism a little bit. I wouldn't say that there's anybody in here who has a truly honest heart, and I think it's up to <gasps> you to figure out. Maybe there might be some motivations behind the scenes that you need to discover before you make your final decision about what happens to Zion. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so so what are the... If, if you could sum up the dishonest positions here, I think obviously you think Joshua Graham is doing a little bit of empire building. I think Joshua Graham is being honest about what he wants to do. I think he does want to find forgiveness in himself and in what he did and at least try to do no more harm. I wouldn't say that he's doing that in the right way. That's my that's my gripe with him. Whatever. I would also okay, so if we're looking at somebody else in here Daniel. Um, Daniel and him wanting to preserve the sorrows and their as he thinks, a beautiful way of looking at life and peace. I think he's also just scared. I think he's scared of losing what he's got left of a community, and he wants to get them out so that he can prevent what happened to New Canaan from happening to them. Well, that sounds like an honest action. He doesn't say that. You have to, like, talk to other people to figure that out, though. But his <laughs> actions still follow that. Yeah, like, that's that's still in line with the quote, though. Yeah, but you said that they were. these are, like, dishonest things happening. Well, there's a difference between your actions coming from somewhere inside your heart versus what you say you're doing the reasons for. Like, you get what, you get what I'm saying? I guess, but like... Like, you can say you're doing it for one reason, but in reality you're doing it because of some gut feeling that you need to do it. I guess, sure. Yeah. 
Is there anybody else in this DLC with enough dialogue and agency to really be considered God. Uh, having honest actions? Therein lies the rub. <laughs> Follow Chalk. He... Follows, follows Chalk is he's very sweet. He clubs a guy and then got shot for it on accident. He's also very young. Like, they make it pretty clear. His name is Follows Chalk because he is a scout in training for the dead horses. And they leave chalk marks along their trail marks for the younger ones to follow. Hence his name. He also idolizes Joshua Graham. Like, he thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, And maybe that's... Like, that's coming from an honest place. Like, I think he has seen what Graham has done for the Dead Horses tribe and what he's trying to do for the Sorrows, and he wants to continue in that path and become somewhat of a leader for his people, too. And that's an honest, earnest um, desire of his, but is it something that should happen based on what we know of Joshua Graham and his past? Like, it's an opportunity for examination about motivations for characters there. I'll just say yes. I think it's badass. <laughs> you're on the Graham cool. you're on the Graham Cracker train. Did you know that he's called Follows Chalk because Joshua Graham looks like a giant piece of chalk from far away? And he is a mummy. The Mormon mm-hmm. mummy marshmallow man. <laughs> oh god. So I guess I have to ask what's uh, what's the next essential Fallout New Vegas DLC that I gotta tackle. I would suggest playing Dead Money next. Dead Money was the first DLC that was released for Fallout New Vegas, and it had a little bit of controversy upon its release as well. I won't get into it, but I would like to know your thoughts on it after you play it. Okay. I'll try to I'll try to get on that so that <laughs> so that the next episode of the podcast for New Vegas won't be me going, well, two years ago, I was a cowboy and I punched Caesar to death and I don't remember who Follows Chalk was and I shot him in the head. Oh, I can actually give some fresh takes on what happened. Well, well, it's been a treat. It's been a time yelling about Joshua Graham with you. It's been fun. It's time for you to say the line. You're not going to make me plug my pluggables first. Fine, plug your pluggables, <laughs> but then you say the line. I hear Caesar plugged his pluggables. I don't think you should do that. Yeah, well, Caesar's, <laughs> Caesar's streams were always boring anyway. <laughs> well, I was talking more about his Tumblr. Oh, his Tumblr? Yeah. <laughs> if Caesar the, had a Tumblr, what would it look like? <laughs> the live, laugh, love inside of him was... That burned hotter than the live, laugh, love <laughs> outside. Yeah, if Joshua Graham had a Tumblr, it would definitely just be a bunch of inspirational quotes from the Bible or something. Are there, are there like, evangelical people on Tumblr? Oh, absolutely, yeah. What a... Huh. <laughs> it doesn't... It's really weird to think about. I wish, I wish I didn't. It's funny because, you know what Tumblr's like at large, too? Like, they're yeah. generally very off-the-cuff don't really censor themselves a whole lot and then occasionally you'll get some like christian fundy or catholic who just chimes in and says something is blasphemous and then everybody clowns on them for a little bit which you know can get a little eh. but <laughs> you know i knew a medievalist in one of the forums that i went on 
like just had a straight up like 1500s like interpretation of like wow. church authority and stuff really it's pretty cool it's <laughs> interesting yeah he liked dragons anyway yeah plug your pluggables yeah that would take you down all right um you can find me on tumblr under night and gaelic i have a lot of fallout opinions and fan art and writing that i have done on there other than that, you can also find me under that name on... Shoot, I've forgotten. You forgot your own plug Yeah, I forgot my own social media account. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm also Night and Gaelic on Twitch, but I don't stream. True. True. <laughs> you really don't. If you're looking for more No Player Connected stuff, uh, we're on Twitter. And if you just want to see me really bad at video games, I'm on Professor Jam on Twitch and on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, if you want to shout out other games or get a hold of me to be on an episode, go for it. I'm also Night and Gaelic on Archive of Our Own. I forgot that. There you go. If you want to read some Fallout fan fiction and smut. Hey, don't knock the smut. People have sex. People have sex. Oh my god. People want to read about it? Okay. What the fuck? Okay. Say the line. (laughs) NPC.